people were rushing around like crazy and I didn't even know what was happening. Nobody told me. And they kept saying, you have to sign all these papers. They were trying to take off my clothes. And I'm like, excuse me. I said, I don't know what's happening. And finally the neurosurgeon came in and he said, Christine, you have a subdural hematoma and the blood has accumulated. We need to go in and release the blood. Once we release the blood, your brain will bounce back. But if we don't do this right now, you will die in a few minutes. Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times, all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. My guest today was born and raised in Hawaii. She went to Purdue University for pharmaceutical science degree and did a medical board certification in 2007 in anti-aging and functional medicine. For her, it is all about healing each other and making the world a happier and healthier place for all to live with peace, love, and good health. She has been a pharmacist for more than 35 years and is the mother of three wonderful children. I am pleased to present Christine Jacobson. Christine, are you ready to share your story of hope? Yes, thank you, Tamara. Thank you for having me. I am so excited. So an interesting fact about you is that when you were little, you wanted to become a nun. Tell me about that. <laughs> that is a that is a crazy story. But, you know, when I look back at now, almost 60 years old, I feel like I made that happen in my career. But when I was young, I wanted to be a voice of Heavenly Father, of our God, our our maker. I wanted to be like him. I wanted to walk his path. And I wanted people to see him in me. I wanted to be able to give the love that he has unconditional to everyone. I wanted to have that to give to others here on earth as his messenger. So Mm -hmm. as a young girl, that was what I was growing up in, going to church every weekend. And I just love him. I've known him all my life. And so I felt like that was my path. However, my father had already planned to be a priest when he was younger and he had gone into the seminary, but then he had met my mother and that's when he got out of the seminary and he did not become a priest. Mm. So he, at the age of 14, he discouraged me from going into being a nun. And so at that point, I had to think of something else to do. And I just thought of science instead. Huh. And you ended up becoming a pharmacist, but you've gotten yeah. additional degrees in, in, in addition to that. And you've been able yeah. to bless and help people through your work as a pharmacist, right? Yes, yes. And and like I said, Tamara, I'm almost 60 years old, and yet I feel like I've changed my career as being a pharmacist to emulate exactly what I wanted to be as a young woman and be a nun, except I don't have to wear the habit. And of course, I have very many, many sins. I could never be as pure as a nun, unfortunately. (laughs) Unfortunately. (laughs) However, it's like I still want my life to be a message of him. I want my life to be his voice so other people can see him in me when they meet me every day. And that's still my goal. And the beauty about being a pharmacist was I got to open my own pharmacy and I got to make my world to be a message of God, where when you work in a lot of retail settings, you're not allowed to speak religion or politics or anything. And it becomes very hard because we could still act our our feelings and act of the message and still be messengers. However, you can't always speak it because of what you're limited to in society. Right. But in my world that I have built, I can speak his name every minute. I can speak it 
to the people who come for care to me because part of healing is him. It's not about just medications and drugs. It's not about that. It's about healing and and realizing the love he has for us is unconditional and that he's always here. And I think that, like you say, people with hard times, when they come to the pharmacy, they're certainly not healthy. They Mm -hmm. want help. They want something. So yes, they come for medications, but it's not about that. Mm -hmm. They may be lonely. They may be sad. That's what's leading to insomnia. That might be leading to other problems. And yet they don't understand the love that is surrounding them because they unfortunately cannot feel it at that very moment. Mm -hmm. And that's when they come into our world, into my room, into my building, that I hope I can convey that message to them, that there is something else besides drugs, besides medication. There is the love of him that gives us faith that we have hope and love in our lives, no matter what. Mm, That's so profound. It's almost like you offer them not only the physical bit of healing, but you point them to a spiritual source of healing, which can help them with both. Yes, and that can be tricky yes people are not always open to that people don't always understand that but I can usually tactfully try to put that in there so they understand where I'm coming from but I don't want to offend anyone I just want them to realize that there is another door there is another source that of love that we haven't even looked at and you might have forgotten in this bad time and that's what we need to do and so even that very small message or just the fact that you can hug a stranger you know in this time of a pandemic nobody can touch each other it's very Mm -hmm. very hard and touch is healing and God's love It cannot always be felt through everybody. Some people have to feel it through a touch, through a Mm -hmm. hug, unconditional hug to a stranger that might not be smelling good or look good. It's someone that you don't know could be hurting so bad. They just need a hug, you know? And that's where God's love is. But during a pandemic, we're not allowed to do that. And it's very difficult. I still hug. I still do. (laughs) I, I tried to tell them clinically that if you, there are all these studies and if you look away and you don't look at each other you and you come in quick, you can still hug and it will be safe. <laughs> so I will oftentimes tell my customers and my patients, I said, I'm, I'm going to hug you, but I'm coming in fast and I'm not going to look at you. And then I can hug them really tight. And they said, don't look at me. We're just going to hug. And that's now I have to voice that because I don't want them to think that they might get sick. And that's why I said, no, there's a study. You can really do this. So just stand there. I'm going to come in fast. And I'm, don't, <laughs> don't look at me and I'm not going to look at you and I'm going to hug you. And and people still need hugs and people still want them. Yes. There there is a healing power that comes through physical touch. And it's it's yes. it's neat that you've been able to combine both science and the spirituality behind that, that we need that to connect with each other. And that's how God often expresses his love to us is through other yes. people. Yes, yes, absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. So let me ask you this. Your life has not always been so, so easy. In fact, several years ago, you you had an incident which led you to like six surgeries and it was very complicated. Why don't you talk me through your story and tell us how you were able to maintain your faith and hope during a really hard time of your life? Well, It happened on January 21st of 2013. I was skiing with friends on a nearby ski hill. I was skiing with their children, the younger kids. We were skiing on a green run. I had a helmet on. I've skied for about 10 years, you know. Um, Not a really great skier, but I still love the outdoors. It brings me so much closer to God, and it is very majestic, and it's beautiful outside. Um, But being from Hawaii, I don't really like the cold, except if you wear, (laughs) I wear a lot of underwear, and it makes me very happy. So that's a good thing. (laughs) It's a very good thing. 
And on that day when I was skiing, apparently someone came quickly past me and I fell. Well, I oftentimes fell, but I got up, I got my skis and I skied down the hill. When I got down to the bottom of the hill, I was getting on a gondola to get onto another run. And at that time, I was very dizzy. So I kept falling. When I took my skis off, I kept falling to the right. And I don't know why. It was like my balance was off. I didn't have any headaches. I didn't have any head problems. But what happened was the ski patrol came and took me down the hill. And I ended up going to the emergency room. At the time, they ran a CAT scan. And they said, no, they looked at my helmet. They said, you don't even have a concussion. Your helmet is perfect. Everything is fine. Go home. You will be fine. And it was 30 days from the day I fell was when I experienced the, the, the cerebral frontal lobe had caused a hemorrhage and I had a hematoma and it started accumulating the blood in the brain and your skull only holds, it's a bone, so it holds everything in, but the blood was just accumulating so much that they said my brain had formed into like a shape of a banana. It was squashed because the blood had accumulated. And at the time of that day, within the first few hours of the day, my arm didn't work. My right arm wasn't working. And then someone said my face dropped on my right side. And then my right leg started not working, but my left side was fine. And so I thought, well, maybe I better run to get a CAT scan done again and see what's going on. So I drove to a nearby CT scanner. It was like not even a mile away, maybe two miles away. And then when I got there, I know when I got there, they did the CAT scan and everything. And then they didn't say anything. They said, you have to stay here. You cannot leave. And I'm like, okay, but I have to go back to work. I have people waiting for me. I have a patient waiting. And then within that very few minutes, the doctor had come out and he said, we have to take you to the emergency right away. And so that was just another block away. And I said, okay, I'll just drive there. I don't know what's going on. But by the time I got to the emergency room, both of my legs I couldn't walk into the emergency oh room. Word. So it was just minutes. And I and I wasn't aware because I had no pain. I, I just was not aware of what was happening because I never look at myself in the mirror. I, you know, I'm busy. And so I would never know. So when I got to the emergency room, they rushed me right in. They were expecting me and everything. People were rushing around like crazy. And I didn't even know what was happening. Nobody told me. And they kept saying, you have to sign all these papers. They were trying to take off my clothes. And I'm like, excuse me. I said, I don't know what's happening. And finally, the neurosurgeon came in and he said, Christine, you have a subdural hematoma and the blood has accumulated. We need to go in and release the blood. Once we release the blood, your brain will bounce back. But if we don't do this right now, you will die in a few minutes. And I kept thinking, Well, it was so quick. I kept thinking, I don't understand what you're saying. And none of that makes sense. I mean, I don't, I don't have time to die. I I have to do, I, I still want to take care of the world. I have people I want to love and I want to be able, there's more people I want to be able to take care of. I said, this doesn't make any sense, but he kept explaining to me. And I said, well, can't you just drill a hole in my head and take a straw and take the blood out. And he was like, no, no, no. And and they kept going quickly. And then I said, this is very serious. And then I just started crying. I said, I'm not ready. I didn't get everything in order. I said, I'm not ready. And I started crying. But then within the next few minutes, I became at peace. And I realized that if this is really my time, then I'm I'm going to be okay. So I stopped crying and they were trying to push me into the operating room. Everything was so quick at the time. Then my husband at that time came rushing in to the room and he's like, okay. I said, you need to go home on the second shelf in the library in a pink odor. There is a living will. I need you to bring the living will because I don't want to be a vegetable. I need to make sure that I'm not a vegetable and I want to make sure everybody gets everything. And he was like, 
all frantic. I don't even know if he was listening to me. And I'm rushing in. And as they're pushing me into this operating room, I'm yelling at him and I'm saying, please, I want you to love. I want you to be loved. At the time, we were only 50. And I said, you need to love and be loved. I will be in a good place. I'm not going to worry about me. I worry about you. And then he would just, you're talking nonsense. And I said, please. And then they took me into this operating room. Mm -hmm. And it was a big room, the biggest white room I have ever seen. And I'm awake (laughs) the whole time. And there's a sea of blue people. See, I mean, there must have been, it felt like 20 to 30 to 40 people of blue people. And I kept thinking, where are all these people? What are they doing? But they were acting so quickly. And so they lifted me onto this. They had an operator, one table, one small little metal table in the sea of white, big white room in the sea of blue people. And they put me on the table. And at the time I said, please. And I said, everything was happening so fast. I said, please, my name is Christine Renee Jacobson. I I am of sound mind and body. If I die on this table, please promise me you will take all my parts. I want them to go to people who need me. So do not waste time, please. And a woman's voice at my foot said, I promise. A man's voice to my left said, I promise. And a Another gentleman to my right said, I promise. And within a few minutes, like few seconds, everything was black. And Mm -hmm. I knew at that point, that point, I thought, I'm ready. I'm going to go and I am ready. And I felt at peace and I was so happy. And I said, it'll be okay. I'm not afraid. And then the craziest thing was I woke up. And it was a room that was black. And I thought, oh my gosh, what did I do wrong? I kept going in my head. (laughs) Did I forget to say hi to somebody? Did I forget to say thank you? Did Did I forget a stranger that was passing me that was hurting and I didn't acknowledge them? Because that's important to me. I like Mm -hmm. to see every person. And I kept thinking, what did I do wrong? Am I in a waiting room that you're supposed to answer questions before you go to heaven? Am I (laughs) supposed to? Am I? Why did I not go to heaven? I'm in a room of darkness. And I thought, in my head, all these things were happening. And then my eyes scanned the ceiling. And up in the top right corner was a digital clock in red. And it was 12 something, 1223. And I thought, how strange that they have time in heaven. Why is there a time? Why is there a time? And I, when I looked though, all of a sudden, all these feet came running in the room and people were running in the room and lights were kind of turning on dimly. And all of a sudden I realized that I wasn't dead. Because all these people came in and they said, when you have a brain injury that was as severe as mine, that they put all the machines behind you because there should be no brain stimulation when you're awaking in ICU. So everything was behind me. And then all the nurses and the doctors came in because they needed to assess what had happened. But during that time, one of the nurses had told me that the doctor had gone out to see my family. What was supposed to be an hour surgery ended up being three and a half hours. And what happened was he said when he went in to take the blood out, he noticed that the frontal lobe was still bleeding. So it was a very slow bleed. That's why it took so long. And it's very rare that anybody would have a subdural hematoma that's 30 days later. He says it always happens between 10 to 14 days from when you hit your head. But I'm, of course, I'm very unusual. So, (laughs) So, of course, that made sense. But he said that he had to go in and cauterize my frontal lobe. And because he went in to cauterize my frontal lobe, he had to burn what was left in my frontal lobe. And he said he erased my memory. Mm. So at the time he had told my family 
And they were really upset because what was supposed to be an hour surgery was three and a half hours. Now they had all gathered out in the waiting rooms, friends and family, and just waiting to hear. And when the surgeon had come out, he said he brought the family into a private room, which my children said was very traumatic because they didn't want to go into another room. They just wanted to hear that I was okay, but he couldn't say anything until he went into this other room with HIPAA. And in the room, that's when he told the family, she is alive. However, I had cauterized her frontal lobe. So I erased her memory. She will not be a pharmacist and she will not remember who you are. And at the time, my children said that it was very traumatic for them. And they yeah. were very, very heartbroken for that. When I was in the ICU room, ICU room in the darkness, the nurse had whispered in my ear and she had told me that story. And she had said to me that there were so many people out there to see me. And would I like to see my family? And I said, yes, I would want to. They would only let my family come in. Mm -hmm. But I said, there are other friends and stuff and I would love to see them. My vision wasn't very good at the time, but I said, sure. So my family came in and when my son came in and he, I said, how was your calculus test? And he just started crying. And and the nurse kept saying, everybody is crying. And I said, why are they crying? And she said, because you were not supposed to remember who they were or mm. what they did. And once again, that was a miracle. Yeah. It was a miracle from God. And I knew God was there with me the whole time. And that journey just started from that moment on. And from that surgery subsequently I had had a total of nine brain nine. surgeries it was six after I had six four years later that was what it was I had during that first year so what happened was when they removed my skull they put it back together with these little screws and little plates uh -huh. So talk about a screw in your head. But so <laughs> they put these little screws and everything. Well, apparently something got infected in my head right. and they don't know what it is. Um, so they put me on lots of treatments of IV treatments to try and stop the infection that was on the skull that was going to go into my brain. And they kept saying, if it goes into the brain, then you will die. So we need to kill off the staph infection. So it doesn't go into your brain. So at that point, I had gone through a lot of IV treatments and that had made me very, very sick and caused liver fail. My liver was failing and stuff, but the antibiotics were just so strong. And it was something that they had to do to try and kill it, but they couldn't figure out why they had the infection. Well, eventually after like eight weeks, that the infection got so bad that the pus started coming out of my skull. Ugh. So they rushed me into surgery and they took the plate off. Cause at that time they put in an artificial plate. They said my initial skull bone was so infected that they could not reuse the plate. Cause it had been, it had just been a long period of time that the blood had accumulated. So they made up, um, they made up a prosthetic and that's what's happened. They put a prosthetic piece in. And so when they put in that first prosthetic, so first they removed the skull and that was the second surgery because of the infection, because of the screws. And then the third surgery was, a, they called it a cranioplasty because they made me a skull out of a 3D image. It's amazing wow. how they do that. Yeah. And it was a, it's a plastic plate. And so they put it back and they put new screws and everything on my skull. Um, and it worked. It actually for, it kept me good for four years that the skull never got infected. Awesome. Um, until four years later, I had started having pain in my head and I kept saying something is wrong with my head. And so I went back to my neurosurgeon and he said, yes, there's actually something growing on 
in the skull, underneath the skull plate. It's underneath oh. the skull plate. Of course, it's always underneath. And so, <laughs> of course. I know. It couldn't be on the outside. I mean, I just grab it. <laughs> but I kept saying, well, why would that happen? And they said, well, what happens is your eyes are open from you have these tear ducts and your nose is open and your mouth. And it, there is a passageway that goes to your brain. Of course, we know that. That's mm -hmm. how we breathe. But there is these openings. And so what happens if you get an eye infection or if I get a sinus infection or a mouth infection, then it's a possibility that it would have gone to my brain. And I'm like, wow. well, everybody can do that, except I have a foreign piece in my brain. Mm -hmm. And so that's what's happened. When I was going through all of my first surgeries and everything, it was such a beautiful time, Tamara. I now, now that you're going to have to explain that because most people wouldn't consider all these surgeries and these painful experiences beautiful. Oh gosh, Tell no. me why it was beautiful. Oh my gosh, God was with me so much. I mean, I never felt so good in my whole life. I never felt so good. Every minute of every day. I felt him. He was near me. And when it got worse and worse and my body was not healing and my body was failing, I felt so good. I could feel his love. I knew that he was carrying me. He was carrying me the whole time. I had no fear. I had no pain. I felt nothing but happiness and goodness. Nothing. I, when I look today and I don't have that suffering moment. I miss him. I miss mm. him. But I know that he's near. And I think that was my biggest thing about having him so close to me. When I was healing and I was finally on my way, I felt I knew he, he was, I felt him gone, but yet not gone because I knew he was near. But mm. during that time, it was a remarkable feeling of love and hope and faith. I just, it, I don't even know if it's faith. People say I have such great faith, but I don't understand what that really means because all I know is how he loves me so much mm. that I can love everybody else when I'm very, very sick. And the crazy thing was I had staples. I had like 40 hard staples, iron staples in my skull. And they had tubes coming out of my head. And like I said, I don't look at myself in the mirror. I'm very busy. So I want to hug everybody. I want to love. I want to welcome people. I had IVs coming out of my arm. And yet I went <laughs> to work because I would carry an IV pole. And finally they said, you're scaring people with that. <laughs> so <laughs> they made me up this IV ball that I could put the medicine in the ball and it infuses into a pick line into my heart. And they let me carry it in my lab coat as a pharmacist. Oh. So nobody would know I would be doing an IV treatment that was going on all the time, but you could still see my injury. You could still see it, but it was not, it wasn't bad for me. It wasn't, it wasn't anything that was bad. It was painful because of the staples, but it wasn't anything that I couldn't handle because I knew he loved me. And he, he was so, he is, he is so great that he carried me and loved me even more. When it was so bad, he loved me so much that my heart was so warm the whole time. I had so much love that I could give more love to people. And I wanted more people to see and feel me. And, and I would hug people and people would just start crying. And I'm like, why are people crying? And, and my staff would say, well, you're scaring everybody. You look, <laughs> you look scary. And I said, I didn't realize that I looked scary there was one incident where a little girl had come into the pharmacy and I gave her a sucker. You know, I try to give them suckers. I uh -huh. try to say hello. And I went up to her and I bent down and gave her a sucker. And I will never, ever forget her face. 
I, that was because people, adults, don't do that. They just uh -huh. pretend that they don't see it. They pretend that they're, it is not a bad thing. People are very good about if you look crippled or deformed, that they don't express that. But children are the most innocent, honest people of God. Mm -hmm. They are the, they speak God. They know God the most and God speaks through them. And this one little girl, when I got down on my knee and I was trying to give her a sucker, I had never seen such a horrific face in my whole life. To this day, I still can see her face. And I was so scared. It, it just, it frightened me that she was so afraid. I, I immediately backed up and I, I said, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize. And she was just afraid. She ran and hid behind her mother. But I, I didn't realize how ugly that it looked uh -huh. until that moment because it didn't care. It was about God. It was about his love. It was about him taking away everything that was painful or hurtful for me. I never showed any pain. I never had any regret or sorrow. It was beautiful. And I just wanted to share that love with everybody. And so people kept coming from everywhere because they wanted to hear why. It was amazing. We're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, I'm going to ask Christine a really tough question. Why does she think she felt God's love in that situation when so many people who are in difficult situations don't? Stay tuned. Hi, this is Tamara K. Anderson, and I want to share something special with you. When our son Nathan was diagnosed with autism, I felt like the life we had expected for him was ripped away and with it my own heart shattered as well. It's very common for families to feel anger, pain, confusion, and anxiety when a child is diagnosed. This is where my book, Normal For Me, comes into play. It shares my story of learning to replace my pain with acceptance, peace, joy, and hope. Normal For Me has helped change many lives, and I'd like to give this book to as many families as possible. We put together something I think is really special. My friends and listeners can order copies of my book at a significantly discounted price, and we will send them to families who have just had a child diagnosed with autism or another special needs diagnosis. We will put your name inside the cover so they will know someone out there loves them and wants to help. I will also sign each copy. You can order as little as one or as many as hundreds to be shared with others. So go to my website, TamaraKAnderson.com and visit the store section for more information and to place your order. You can bless the lives of many families by sending them hope, love, and peace. Check it out today at TamaraKAnderson.com and help me spread hope to the world. And we're back. I've been talking to Christine Jacobson about her experience having a subdural hematoma and how her skull had to be removed through several surgeries. And she was able to feel the love of God within her so very, very strongly. Now, Christine, we were just talking about this very tough experience. Why is it, do you think, that you felt God's love so strongly and so powerfully through this most difficult time of your life when so many other people who go through this type of experience don't feel his love? Were there things you did that helped you feel his love more strongly? What did that look like for you? I don't, you know, that's a very, very good question. I think at the time after in 2013, somebody had asked me that question. And I, mm -hmm. I, I, that, and you're the second one that has asked me that, like, what is it, eight years later? <laughs> but, uh, but I don't really know. I don't feel like I was chosen because I don't feel that way. I feel that God loves everybody. But why was he there more at that time? I don't think that it was only me. I think, I believe that he would have done that for every single person. I, I think that what happens is we get so busy 
that we don't see him, that mm. we don't feel what he's trying to do. And we have sometimes we have so much sorrow and so much pain. And from maybe even the people we love that we forget that he is right there. And so his love overcomes all that. Yet we get so much into sorrow and we don't know that. And that's why it hurts so badly. I don't know why it was so fabulous. And especially four years later, when I had six more surgeries due to mm-hmm. the infection, once again, he was with me mm-hmm. and it was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. I, and I, I don't know why I would have. Because I know I, I live for him every day. I know he's near every day. Maybe I was just more receptive. Maybe I just, because I knew he was already there, that maybe that just gave me even more joy and love. And it was amazing. And it's still so amazing to sometimes when which is crazy. Like I will have hardship if my family is hurting, if someone I love is hurting, if I feel like something is wrong, then I say, do I, where can I go back to have that? I ask myself that all the time. Sometimes Mm -hmm. when it's really bad, I said, how can I have that again? And I pray to him and I say, because I speak to him all the time, all Mm -hmm. the time. And he always speaks to me when I sleep. So I always hear him when I sleep. But I oftentimes ask him, do I need to go through such a hardship again for you to be that close to me? And his answer is no, Mm. it's not. Because he loves us no matter what. He goes, "I, I love you, I'm still here. But somebody else needs me right now a little bit more. So that's why you think I'm not holding you up, but he still holds me up. Mm. Except now we're walking together in hand in hand instead of him carrying me. Mm. And when I needed him the most, he carried me. And that's the most important thing. That's mm. why it felt so good. Mm. You know, I, I, I wonder if, if it's just your daily connection with him and, and different people have different gifts that God gives yes. them. And perhaps yours yes. is just the ability to sense and feel him close to you. And as yes. you, as you share that with others, it helps renew their faith that, okay, God really is with me. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And that they, they can uh, work towards achieving that same sense of unity that you feel with God. Yes. And that's yes. beautiful. That's really, really beautiful. Thank you. It's it's so true, though, Tamara. So true. Everybody has his love. Yeah. And he's really trying to love the people that hurt the most. But sometimes we get so mad and we don't understand. And people, a lot of people say, there is no God because they wouldn't have all this hardship and pain and the world wouldn't be that way. And I'm like, that's not true. Look at the beauty of everything. Man has the will to make the world though it has, has become. It is not God. God does all the beautiful things to make us go through this hard time because he loves us. Mm. Mm. And oftentimes people do find him in their hard times. And it sounds yes. like you felt an increase of him during your hard time. Yes. So that's definitely a, a takeaway. What were some other lessons you learned through all of this? Well, I think that especially like when I had gone through my, after my fifth surgery, um, the infection had gotten so bad, they said it had come through my nasal or my eye from another person had had an infection that was close to me. And so I had received that and it went to my brain. Um, At the time, they tried to pull fluids from my body so they could try and put in antibiotics to go to my cerebrospinal fluid to get to my brain. Nothing worked. And eventually my head blew open and with pus and blood. And that's when they rushed me into surgery. And once again, he was there. He's there all the time, but he helped me 
to feel him even more because during that one time I had to be put into a hyperbaric chamber. They felt that that was important for me to heal my skull. And it was something that they were trying, everything they were trying because they've never had a case that had lived through this. Mm. So it was very hard for them to try and fix it. And I've had so many neurosurgeons and so many doctors and so many different specialists that they have finally sent me to University of Utah and, and they couldn't fix it either. Um, but during the time of the hyperbaric chamber, you have to be in this chamber for two hours and they drop you into thousands of feet where the hyperbaric is what heals the tissue. Mm. But you cannot have motion or anything, make anything that can be combustible because it's easily flammable. Your skin can go on fire. Your hair can burn. Um, They say that the pressure will cause your eyes to pop out in your ears because the pressure is inside. And that's what they try to do to heal you. So you have to lay there still for two hours. And there's nothing there. But the beautiful thing, because I did that for nine weeks every morning. And once again, that was a gift. Because during that time, I could rehearse every part of the Bible, every part, every verse that in my mind I knew about how God loves me. I spoke to him and I prayed and I thought about all the people I meet every day and I could pray for them. They gave We need two hours every day <laughs> to talk to him. Uh-huh. But we're so busy again. We don't. If we pray, we're lucky we get five minutes in. Yes. And that's not right. But the beautifulness of all of that was two hours every day or six weeks. I got to be with him. He mm-hmm. was laying in there with me. Unfortunately, yes, it blew my ears out. The pain was really bad. So I lost the hearing in my right ear due to that. Um, at the time I had lost my left ear too, after nine weeks, and then I lost my vision also because my eyes had popped out, but, you know, they said it was the side effect of the treatment and, you know, my kids were angry. They're always angry because why does this keep happening? Why does God's number one fan go through all this. That's what my son keeps saying. He goes, what Mm -hmm. kind of God will do this? And I said, no, it's not God. This is a miracle that I'm still alive. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to fix me. Do you not see what's happening? I am here for you. I get to love you. I know you. I am still alive. And those are only two senses. It's my vision and my hearing. I have three other senses. I can still love you. I can touch you. I can smell you. And I told my son, I'm your mother. If I want to, I can even taste you. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, he did not think that was funny. But, But it was still, it was still a blessing. And from... As the side effects had gone away, my left eye had come back and my left ear had come back. I've lost a lot of my vision from my right and I've lost my hearing in my right ear, but, but nobody can tell Mm -hmm. and they want to put a hearing aid. And I said, why? I mean, you know, after nine surgeries, the very last surgery, my children had said, enough is enough. We can't do this anymore. They kept shaving my head. I have so many scars that my hair doesn't grow. But they removed my skull now. And so it has been two years now that I have not had a skull. And I can feel my brain every day. Wow. And But in the two years that they have removed the prosthetics, I've had several prosthetics. And in the two years, I have never gotten sick. I don't have any more infections. I don't, God says, I don't need a skull. I, <laughs> oh, my neurosurgeons come in all the time to see me and they're like, maybe it's time to put a skull back in. And because they feel like my life will be shortened because my brain is exposed. So I'm, I have a soft spot. So if I hit any part of that, they say I will instantly die. And I said, okay. I'm fine with that. 
I, <laughs> I'm not, you know, every surgery they kept rushing me in and they said, it's an emergency. And they said, you're going to die. You're going to die. And I finally said, you've got to stop saying that because it's not really true anymore because I think I'm going to die and I'm all happy because I'm going to go to heaven and I'm still alive. So I said, I said, you've got to stop saying that because I don't think that that's true. And when I've been going even, that, especially like at University of Utah when I was going to um, treatments with them and surgeries with them. They have a lot of students and they're all looking at my head and they're all up here and all talking like, how is it possible that she's still alive? How is it possible she can still be a pharmacist? This should not have done that. How is it not healing? How is blah, 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 blah. And I'm sitting there and I say, just so you know, I'm not totally deaf. I can hear everything <laughs> you're saying. And they say, but this is not, it doesn't make any sense. And I finally look at the doctors and the surgeons and I tell them, this is not about you. Please, you have to remember, this is bigger than all of us. We have no control of this. And I think you forget that the plan is not what you think it is. God is taking care of everything. And that's why that is the answer of all the questions you keep asking is because he is here. And they look at each other like, what is she talking about? <laughs> Except there was one surgeon and he did say, yes, I'm glad you reminded me of him. Oh, because they forget. Yeah. The world forgets. Yeah. But he is here all the time. So maybe that is your role since you're still here is to <laughs> no. remind us all that God loves us, yes. that he can help us through any struggle and that we can feel his love. Every day, every day, God Wonderful. loves you. Now you have some amazing books that you have used through the years that have helped you yes. uh, to keep your positivity up. What are some of those books? Do you remember? So I did bring them. I brought a few. The one that I really used a lot, and I still do when it's hard, I always bring it out. It's called Jesus Calling. Okay. There it is um, by Sarah Young. And, and there, she makes several ones, but this is the one I love the most because every day she gives you a passage. And believe it or not, Tamara, the day you read it, it's always about you. Mm. It is always something that is about but it helps to understand. It helps us to know why he loves us. It yeah. helps so that we know what's really going on. And it's okay. Everything is fine because he tells me that it's fine. And sometimes we need people like Sarah to tell us that it's, it's okay. We just keep forgetting. So yeah. help. Uh, this other very good one I love, and I never knew who wrote it. I kept reading it. But I think I, it's yeah, Billy Graham is yes, the name on the front. Yeah, that's what you, I never knew that till you asked me, like, who wrote it? I'm like, I don't know, but it's really <laughs> good because it's all about the little passages and stories that help me to realize. Because we can read the Bible. We can mm -hmm. do that. You can read the book. It's not necessarily what can capture everybody. These are people that live it and can tell the story from mm -hmm. the Bible, mm -hmm. from the book and give you their interpretation. And it's true. It always comes, it's crazy, but it's real. So that one is Hope for Each Day by Billy Graham. Yes. And then my other one I really love is Max Lucado. And it's a little bigger book. That's why I don't always carry it with me. And then my Bible is a bigger book. I do carry it when I really have to go somewhere and pray for other people. Um, I have my little bag of, you know, stash that I can run out and save the world. Um, <laughs> and that's the time I will bring my books that I can read into their ears if they're unconscious or they're not really there so that they can hear God's love. Mm. And you're still spreading it. You said that one of the verses in the Bible that you love the most was in Corinthians. Tell us that verse. Yes. Now, you know, and I was kept thinking about all the ones. It's the one about love. Like once again, 
It's about love. It's about how love is a gift, the biggest gift of all. And God is, God's love is the love of the biggest gift. Mm. And when we receive his love, love is the biggest gift. So love each other, love one another, everybody, every person, the ones you don't see is the ones that need more love. And that's what we need to do is love and be loved, Mm. accept the love and open your heart. So then you will feel just as good as he does for you every day. Mm. So maybe that's really the trick with love is being willing to open yourself to God and to feel it. Because sometimes we, we get stuck being angry and bitter and, and it's just a matter of our choice and choosing to say, okay, I'm going to give you this anger. I'm going to give you the bitterness and I'm going to let I need to feel your love and just invite it. Yes. Quick question. There are going to be people who hear your amazing story and they're going to say, I love Christine. I love her story. How can they connect with you? Oh my gosh. You know, my pharmacy is an open door. I have strangers walk in that want to hear my story. They just want to hug that my home is open. Hmm. So they're always welcome to come in, but they can always email me. Um, you know, they can always, I mean, people send letters. It's crazy, but um, you can always call the pharmacy. I'm always, unfortunately, I'm always here, but I built this. <laughs> I built this so I can take care of every single person. And that's what I want to do. And part of it is sharing God's love with everything you do. Mm. So why don't you give us your pharmacy uh, website so that they can connect with you? Oh, yes, absolutely. And so if you go to wasatchpharmacy.com and there isn't, you hit the contact me, there's an email and it will come to me. Absolutely. And I'll put that link in the show notes. Christine, this has been so amazing. Thank you for sharing your story of love because that's really what it is. It is a story of love. Thank you. And God bless you, Tamara, for doing this for everybody. And God bless every single one of you because you have to remember that he really, really is here and he really, really loves you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you like what you heard, subscribe so you can get your weekly dose of powerful stories of hope. I know there are many of you out there who are going through a hard time, and I hope you found useful things that you can apply to your own life in today's podcast. If you would like to access the show notes of today's show, please visit my website, storiesofhopepodcast.com. There you will find a summary of today's show, the transcript, and one of my favorite takeaways. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this episode with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a quote or a scripture verse that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this podcast. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ and he will help you bear the burden. And above all else, remember God loves you.